Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, it's Michael Fabiano now with Sports Illustrated, and I'm here to help you through this wild fantasy football season. To win in fantasy, you need player rankings you can trust, and ours have received the top five accuracy award over the last three seasons. Sign up for the all-new SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy. We even have tools that sync with your leagues and experts who are standing by answering your questions in our premium chat. Sign up for SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy and win your leagues in 2020. That's si.com slash fantasy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. I'm Maria Metzler, the executive director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance. We help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. your host with the most, Tiny Tim. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is Cole Medina. Welcome back, Cole. Hi there. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Cole Medina is uh, the former West Sound Wildlife Foundation um, CEO, the former director of the Kitsap Community Foundation the former mayor of Bainbridge Island right here, 
And as of today, former city council member. Got a lot of formers in your title now. What's it like to be free? I do. I will just because I'm anal that way. Just correct one thing. I'm still the CEO of the Kitsap Community Foundation okay, until okay. a week from tomorrow. So still doing work, but um, got the day off today, right? No, I, I, well, I mean, officially it is a holiday here at the foundation, but I'm sitting here in my foundation office because I have a long to-do list to get through before I get out of here. <clears throat> right on. You were talking about uh, how successful the Kitsap Strong program was recently. Um, how do you think the Bainbridge Strong thing went down? I know that just wrapped up uh, the tenth here of November. You know, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I don't know. Okay, it was kind How of a. Con- uh, I think it struggled. Um, I participated in it, and it's an offshoot of what Kitsap was doing, and then Seattle Strong started it as well. But uh, I think we need a better recovery plan than selling bags of coffee and T-shirts and kicking back businesses five dollars but i I still appreciate all the efforts that those people did to try to do something because there's a lot of people that are doing nothing to help during covid times other than complain and there's a lot to complain about bamber strong is and i really i've seen i think i saw some signs but i don't don't know anything about it is it about economic recovery yeah it's just kind of helping out small businesses through um a digital store so there'd be logos for your business and you could yeah. buy swag and then put it towards helpline or uh, BPA or any small business. Right. And okay. Peg- Pegasus teamed up by getting the coffee from Omatepe and uh, providing those bags of coffee for Bainbridge Strong as well. Omatepe is the sister island here of Bainbridge Island if, for all the yep. listeners out there. Um, I listened <clears throat> to city council last night and, uh, your send off is kind of kind of crazy. How'd you feel about it? What parts do you think were crazy? Well, the definitely not vetting the public comment and letting oh, that, that one, part that was crazy. <clears throat> um, because I know when before COVID, when you go in, you have to state your address, the street you live on, and your true identity. But now that we're in Zoom, there's been a lot of coal foolery going on out there. Yeah, that was our first Zoom bombing, if you want to use that term, at a, at a council meeting. Uh, it was really disturbing. I, I'd never been a party to something like that. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, I'm not a, a tech nerd, but... I hope there's some way that that IP address or whatever they call it is traceable and that we can find out who did that and set those wheels in motion. It must be. Although, you know, I don't know if the city has the resources or ability to track it down. I'm giving a shout out to Detective Ledbetter. You're, get on the case, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know he listens to the show, so hopefully he can... Uh, Get out there, but um, you know, it looked like the mayor tried to set up a roast for you, and it was more of a appreciation session, and some great things were said. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest shock to me is, you know, can of coal. You <laughs> eat food out of cans. <laughs> when did that start? I need a backstory for that. Um, 
Well, I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of backpacking in my life. Yeah. Not that you take cans of food with you backpacking, but, um, you know, when you're out backpacking, you're, uh, you, you know, you, what you're eating is not the highest quality food in the world, usually. So, you know, I've never, I've never really had high standards for what I eat. <laughs> I am a vegetarian. Um, so other than not eating meat, I don't have really high standards. And so I had this routine before council meetings when we were still meeting <clears throat> in person. Those meetings are at six o'clock. And I would... I'd have to have dinner beforehand, right? So, so what am I going to do? I don't want to. I don't want to go home between work and the foundation. I mean, that council meeting, because if I go home, then it's really hard to get myself out of my house to go down to city hall for the council meeting, right? I don't know if you know what I mean, but it's <laughs> for me. Once I'm home, I don't want to go. Right. So I wasn't going to go home and have some dinner. Uh, I wasn't going to go buy dinner somewhere every night because I don't know, food's not that important to me. It's not worth spending money on every Tuesday. So I had to bring something to eat. And the only thing you have there at City Hall, there's a little break room with a microwave. You know, that's it. Like I can't, I can't cook food there. So I guess I could have like, you know, prepackaged some dinners or something. But it's much easier to just, um, just bring a can of corn. And a frozen burrito and stick the frozen burrito in the microwave, have a little bottle of hot sauce and a, a can opener and open my can of corn and eat that corn with some hot sauce on it. And so, yeah, that was my routine every Tuesday. It's what fueled me during council meetings. Yeah, I think if you were sticking around, the whole t-shirts shop would go out, <laughs> get crazy with ideas out there. It's kind of <laughs> ironic, too, that uh, that vegetarian food truck just moved into city council this week, the week that you're leaving. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah. I think it's a zest food truck. It's all vegetarian and smoothies and juices and, and such. And it's parked right next to Island fitness next to city hall. Yeah. Yeah. So people would come in and see me in the break room and I, I didn't realize it was so unusual to just open a can of food and eat it, but I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of the movie Repo Man with uh, Emilio Estevez, where everything was generically labeled, and he'd come home for dinner, and the mom would set the can on the table, and it, it said food right across it. And he, she'd always complain that he ate it right out of the can, and be like, hey, sweetie, put it on a plate. You'll enjoy it more. He's like, I can't enjoy this food any more than I am right now, mom. Right. I mean, come on. I have to say it makes me think of Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what I mean? Yep. Totally. <laughs> Except that can was full of dog food, not corn. Yeah. You eat beans out of the can too? Yeah, sure. Do you um, rinse them? I guess it was. The what? Do you rinse them? Oh, uh, the, the beans I would eat out of a can are, um, you can get these chili beans at well, as I say, town at Central Market or Town and Country, probably any store. But they're like pre-flavored, like mm. they're flavored chili beans. Gotcha. Um, so no, I don't rinse those because I think they're already kind of cooked and flavored. But I wouldn't just like eat a can of black beans like straight out of the gotcha. can. Yeah, that'd be kind of gross. <clears throat> we'll have to justify this legend of coal and the cans <laughs> before you get out. Hey, um, yeah, it was. Go ahead. I didn't really answer your question though about last night. <clears throat> it felt really weird. It was awkward um, a little. 
Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, it's really meaningful to me that so many people got on there and said nice things about me and remarked on, you know, being happy with what I'd done on council for the community. And it really means a lot. I mean, that's why I do it. I, I got on council because people asked me to. And mm-hmm. so I'm glad to know that at least some people think that I've done a good job and accomplished something worthwhile. But it's really hard to sit there, especially on Zoom <laughs> with the camera on you <laughs> and just like listen to people say things about you. It's very strange. And then, of course, I started crying, you know, when I was talking, which is a little embarrassing. Not, so not I guess all. the t shirt can have like funky Cole Medina, a can of corn, and like crier, <laughs> whatever else you want to put on there. Uh, goodbye, Colby. <laughs> you know, that's been one for, for a while instead of the city of Bambridge Island when Kobe, when you were the mayor, they called it Colby. Did they? Yeah, that was going around with your little. Uh, teeny bopper fan club that you have there the cold medina <clears throat> fans shout out to them they uh seem to have been inspired with your um, service over the years and that, that's a really cool thing that you did have an impact on youth through politics which is difficult yeah it's amazing it's never something i expected and like i said last night they they inspired me I, they show up some of them would show up at our meetings every week when we were still in person and they wouldn't stay the whole meeting, which is good for them, because I wouldn't stay the whole meeting if I didn't have to. But it was awesome that they were there every Tuesday. And yeah. And like I said, me, I probably wouldn't have run again if, if it wasn't for them. Like, I feel like I owed it to them. <laughs> yeah, and you, you got a little emotional feeling like you're letting those people down that, you know, you just got reelected <clears throat> and now you're moving out. But I mean, the time's right when the time's right. And uh, there's no shame in that. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I do feel a little shame in it. You know, people put their trust in me when they went and checked my name on the ballot. Um, you know, and I'm I'm breaching that trust. Uh, but I really feel like, and I've said this other places, but um, the universe, <laughs> the universe really told us that this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, we we talked pretty extensive about your background and childhood last time on the air and you have some amazing stories. And then I heard you make a statement that, um, you know, some of your best times were back in Walla Walla where you're headed to now to head up the blue mountain community foundation. And I would just, that threw me back because I, I feel like childhood was a bit rough for you out there. Yeah. Well, what flip? So yeah, let me explain that. Someone else has commented on that. And I, I guess I, for anyone who cares, <laughs> I'm happy to explain that. Because, um, yeah, what you're remarking on is that I, when we lived in Walla Walla, we lived there. We as me and my mom and my sister. Because my mom's second husband, my sister's dad, not my dad, um, was in prison. That's why we lived there. And we'd lived in Olympia for a year and a half where my sister was born. And he was picked up for um, something, some combination of robbery and drugs, home robbery. And put in prison. So that's that's why we lived there. Um, after he got out of prison, we moved back to Salt Lake City. And uh, actually, the my family moved back. They moved back. But I stayed in Walla Walla for a month because I wanted to finish sixth grade there. And I got to live with uh, like one of my best friends out on his family farm, which was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and part of why it was amazing, I, I realized many years later, <clears throat> was because it was the first time I'd lived 
in a house with a mom and a dad, like two parents really. Ah. And, and parents who were functioning well together. Like it was, it was a good family. So I think that's part of why I always thought that was an amazing time. Um, this, this might be a bit of a long story. Just stop me if I'm going on too long. We, this is a long conversational podcast. Shoot. <clears throat> okay. So I, <clears throat> I didn't quite finish sixth grade because I was 11, I guess. And eventually I got, I don't know, whatever you get lonely, missing your mom or whatever. And so, um, I called my mom and I just remember calling her and crying and saying, I want to come home. So I went home. I only, I only managed it for a month, even though it was great there on the farm. And uh, my mom's second husband, I guess my stepdad picked me up at the airport. Cause my mom was at work. She's, she was always a, the person who worked in the family. Mm-hmm. And he picked me up and on the way home or on the, in the car, he said, Hey, you want to go out and do something? And I said, well, I'd really like to go see our house. I haven't seen it before. So he, we took me to the house and then he just left. And so then I was just like home alone for the rest of the afternoon. My mom got home that night after work and was really happy to see me, of course. And then I, Bob never came home that night. I'm in bed in my, my, my new room for the first time ever. And I was awoken cause I heard a, a kind of a booming sound on the house shook. And I, I remember looking out the door of my room, the door was open and went to the hallway and hearing noise and Bob, I see Bob come and kind of collapse in front of my door, which was across from their door to their room and my mom coming and kind of helping him up and taking him in their room. The next morning I woke up and I you know, went out in the house and I said, Hey mom, where's Bob? Cause I didn't see him anywhere. And she said, Oh, uh, well during the night, the police came and took him away. And she, I don't know if she explained then or I learned later that that night um, he had gotten in a fight in a bar and shot a guy in the head and hadn't, and it was like the most horrible version of this because the guy didn't die. The the guy lived, but he was in a vegetative state at a hospital and his poor family had to go and eventually decide to, to pull the plug and let him die. And so we went through the process of him being charged and put back in prison this time in Salt Lake city where he'd been many times before. <laughs> and then my mom finally divorced him. And then, um, she had a succession of other, um, boyfriends who weren't good. And then she got married again to another guy who was an alcoholic and never kept a job and was eventually violent with her. And, uh, and, but he lived in the house. So I'm finally getting around to the point. So the other guy she married lived with us. He wasn't in prison. Bob, for those six years I lived in Walla Walla, was in prison. He wasn't in the house. He wasn't in my life. That's why it was the best part of my childhood. I mean, that's part of why. That's one of the reasons Mm. why. Part of it's just because Walla Walla is a cool place to be a kid. It's just a cool town. But it's because I I got to be there with just my mom and without any loser dads in the house, like messing everything up and making my life horrible. Um, So that's kind of a long explanation, but I don't know if that kind of ties it together for you and explains it. Yeah, I didn't know about the vegetated state. I know I remember the story about him shooting the guy in the head at the bar. Wow, man. (laughs) And he hit him back to that. I hope no no, uh, more memories creep 
creep across your chest there and bring back poor memories. Well, I'll tell you another story if you're up for it. Yeah, Um, for sure. So when I found out about the job opening there, I really never thought I was going to be leaving here. I love this job. I'm looking around my office, looking out the window at this view we have from the office. I, I really love this job. I love Kitsap Community Foundation. I've said many times there's, mm-hmm. there's no other job I'd rather have in this community. So I really never thought we'd be leaving. But in June, I saw that Carrie, the CEO of Blue Mountain Community Foundation, was retiring. And so we, my wife and I, spent some weeks talking about that and thinking about it and weighing the pros and cons and eventually decided it's probably not something we'd end up doing, but I might as well just throw my name in the hat and see what happens. So we, so I did that in July and I thought I'd start on that road, start driving down that road and there'd be a bunch of off ramps and I would get off on one of those off ramps. You know, there'd be some red light, some red flag or whatever that said, this just really isn't a good fit for me. And I just get off the road. And there's nothing but green lights in front of you, right? That's right. And here's one of the green lights. <clears throat> um, in August, we were supposed to um, fly to Colorado in July for, for our vacation. We purchased their tickets back in December. But we, we decided, I think in May, um, that we weren't going to fly because of COVID. Um, so we would just drive. We'd just drive to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we realized then in July, oh, well, if we're driving on the way home, we can just stop in Walla Walla and check it out again because we hadn't been there in a while and show it to Kai and show him around. Uh, so we did. And I, I met with Carrie, the CEO there who was retiring, um, out on Main Street in Walla Walla that had been shut down with, and tables were out there so people could be socially distanced. And we had, we had uh, coffee. I had an Italian soda because I don't drink coffee. <clears throat> and she brought her husband, Jim. Um, Jim and she are both remarried and he is retired and they had been married a couple of years. And so we we're just chit chatting. And I said something like, Hey Jim, you know, what, what did you do with your life? And he explained that he worked at, among other things at the Walla Walla community college for a number of years, including the years I lived there. And I said, Oh, okay, Jim, well, when we lived here, my mom was a secretary there at the community college and, you know, maybe you knew her or met her. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll play this silly game with you and I'll just tell you her name and maybe you met her. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I told him her name. And he looked at me and he said, are you joking? And I was like, no, that's, that's my mom. He said, well, she was, she was my secretary. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's real. <clears throat> and and uh, then I said, go ahead. And then I said, oh, well, you probably met me because when I was living here, I went into her office quite a bit. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I met her son when he came in here. Oh, oh, right. Oh, that's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's you. You're the kid who I met those years ago. And then we proceeded to have this great conversation about my mom because he remembered her really well and was sad when she left. And we talked about he knew where we used to live in the town. And we, just, we talked about those memories. And I never like in my life had a moment where I got to talk with someone about my mom in, in that way. There just has mm. not been anyone else to talk about my mom like that. It was a friend of hers from years and years ago. It was just so comforting. And, and he, so no, the memories aren't bad. They're really good. And he knew her in a different light. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, a lot of, it's always neat when, 
this guy's probably not your, your hero or anything, but when you meet your heroes and then you get to compete with them or work with them or people that you look up to or people that inspire you and then you get to work alongside them, it's really a unique, awesome opportunity. And plus, yeah, and, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, Walla Walla is going to make you rich too because the medium house <laughs> price is about a third of what it is here. <clears throat> yeah. That story I just told you about um, meeting the guy who's my mom's boss. Yeah, I've mentioned that other places. So like maybe you had heard that somewhere, but I mean, for me and Elsa, that was just like a sign from God that like mm-hmm. we're on the right track here. I mean, how weird <laughs> that the husband of the person I'm replacing was my mom's boss when we lived there. But there's even a weirder twist to it. Um, the people I lived with out on the farm, I never stayed in touch with them. I didn't remember their names other than my friend's name, Eric Zimmerman. Um, When I was interviewing for a later round of interviews for the job, I mentioned to the interview panel Eric Zimmerman's name. I said, hey, I wonder if any of you know Eric Zimmerman. I'd love to like reacquaint myself with this family. And there are five people in the interview panel and two or three of them were like, oh, sure. I know the Zimmermans. Um, I just forgot his name. And they, and they, oh, Lee, and Lee Zimmerman is Eric's father. And they said, it's probably Lee Zimmerman who you were living with, who was the father. And Lee, and I've since confirmed that, yes, it was Lee. So the, the farm is the Zimmerman family farm. I lived with them for a month. <laughs> Lee Zimmerman was the head of United Way in Walla Walla for many, many years. And he left United Way to go and run a community foundation in Colorado. <laughs> so how, how weird that the guy, the family I lived with, like the dad there was a nonprofit guy and went to run a community foundation. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just all too strange. <laughs> yeah. The cards are all aligned. Now tell me how you aligned all the cards with Elsa and Kaylin or Kylan in getting them to move. <laughs> Well, around our house, I'm just the boss. I just say it's going to be like this. I don't believe that. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, no, of course I'm joking. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, Elsa and I talked about it a lot. Like I said before, I even put my name in, and um, at that point, she didn't think it was something she'd want to do, um, mm-hmm. but she agreed we might as well explore it, test it out, see what it's like. Um, you know, I, I think if COVID hadn't happened, we weren't going through COVID, this wouldn't have happened. Right. I don't think we would have made this change in our life <clears throat> because of COVID, everything's so jumbled up anyway. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it. It just, it just kind of frees you up to feel more willing to make a change in your life because things are already weird anyway. And so I think so that there was some of that for Elsa. Um, and as we went through the process, you know, she saw these signs as well and felt like and there are other signs that I haven't told you <laughs> that like, this is really something we're supposed to do. And she shocked me one day when she said, you know, maybe we should do this because i really am getting tired of the weather here. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd hear her say that because she's where she grew up. We live here because she, she grew up in West Seattle. It's a multi-generation West Seattle family. Like, mm-hmm. 
we don't live out in the Intermountain West or the desert, which is what I love because she wants to live here. She loves the weather here. So it was shocking to hear her say that. Yeah, the the weather's pretty uh, forgiving here on Bainbridge Island, and the the air quality is great. And then you go over to Walla Walla, it's it's there's no ocean. Um, it's really hot. There's forest fires a lot out there, um, but there's onions. <laughs> well, and there are many more blue skies, blue sky yes. days, right? right? And yeah, it is hotter in the summer, but it's also um, hotter many other days of the year when it's not hotter here. <laughs> right. And it's uh, so, somewhat it. si- similar um, demographic. It's a city council, a city manager ran area what about 45,000 people compared to 25,000 here 33,000 people in Walla Walla about the same size yeah yeah not much bigger although it's um the demographic is really different in many ways though that you yeah sounds like you've looked into I've been out there a bit and uh you borderline border of Oregon right yeah just a few miles from Oregon in fact, uh, Blue Mountain Community Foundation serves four counties out there, and one of them is Umatilla in Oregon. So um, Kylan's probably going through that growth stage, so you can just whip down to Oregon and buy clothes for him with tax-free <laughs> action. <laughs> yeah, it's going to yeah. be a money move for you. <clears throat> we did think about that at some point. I was like, oh, wait, we can just go to Oregon and not pay sales tax. Um with Kylan, though, I'll, I'll go back to your question. Like, we were really worried about him. I um, bet. He, you know, he's, he's an introverted kid, like his parents. And I, was, and I moved a lot when I was a kid, and it was really hard on me. Yeah. I remember many, many difficult episodes changing schools. And I didn't want to put him through that. <clears throat> um, we didn't mention any of this to him until we had actually been offered the job and we decided, okay, let's do it. Um, and so then we had to tell him and oh, wow. we were pretty nervous about it. Yeah. Um, he, <laughs> we, we told him and he, he didn't get upset at all. Wow. He, he, his, the first thing he said was, Oh, do we have a house yet? Can I see it? <laughs> and then he said, can we bring the dogs and cats? And that was it. The answers to all those questions were yes. And then he was fine. And again, I think it goes back to COVID. He hasn't been in school for six months anyway. Oh yeah. A little separation. Right. He hasn't been seeing his friends anyway. So he's just going to move from seeing some kids on a screen in school here to seeing some kids on a screen in school there. So it's not a big deal. So like, that's part of what I mean when I say COVID made this possible. All right. Hey, um, I'm excited for you, first and foremost. I appreciate the job that you've done in a lot of different capacities. I appreciate the time you've taken to speak with me. I appreciate the um, inspiration you've given others. Uh, you've made a positive impact for a lot of people on this island, and just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, but let's get into some dirty stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's, what po- That's what politics are about. And... Uh, Hopefully we can talk a little freely with no repercussions for you here. So I get a lot of concerned voices about land and restrictions around the island and some of the things that you've done over, over the time that you've been in office. So maybe you sure. can explain some of your thinking 
on a couple of these. So first thing that comes to mind is the critical area ordinance. Dennis Reynolds mm-hmm. was an attorney that was suing the city council over this critical area ordinance, um, anti-development type movement. Um, since then, he's passed away, and it's kind of gone away as well. There's a lot of groups that... Uh, well, just to say, he wasn't suing. I mean, he was the attorney. Representing the But, I mean, I think it was the Kids Up Realtors Association. Correct. Some other organizations. <clears throat> yeah, and I think there was a Seattle group that was trying to jump in on that as well. But uh, a lot of complaints came about that critical area. Um, what, what do we call that? A law amendment? Uh, <clears throat> it's a law. Sure. It, it's called the critical areas ordinance, but it's a law. So one of the complaints I hear a lot of times is that there's a certain amount of property that has to be reserved for vegetation and perhaps easements. I don't understand it fully. Um, but there's a taxation on a hundred percent of your property yet you can't develop a hundred percent of your property. So that seemed to rub a lot of landowners the wrong way. And then the cutting of trees and what type of trees would have to be replanted. And it's, it's, it's kind of ironic. It's kind of like the, the non-maskers, you know, you're, you're telling me what to do, you know, you're taking away some, some right of mine. And it's a little bit different because it's land, but, a lot of people pointed to the aquifer science being incorrect in that law being written. Looking back at it now, uh, do you think it's fair or it needs revisions? Was it the right thing to do? Is it still the right thing to do? Okay. Uh, there's a lot in what you just said. So I don't Sorry know for not I'm, being concise. I'm a rookie. Yeah, I don't know if I'll remember to hit all the points, but if I miss something, you know, just come bring me back to it. Um. So, yes, some people, uh, I would say a few people, raised objections to the critical areas ordinance changes that we made. Um, A lot of people expressed strong support for them as well. Uh, And that's often left out of the equation in these discussions. Um, What the council does, just about anything that we do, is um, supported by, if it's controversial, Um, is supported by some people and disliked by some people. Um, That's what a democracy ends up being. So you have situations where some people want something to be done and some other people don't want something to be done, and somebody has to make a decision. And in the case of the critical areas ordinance, that somebody is the city council. So I just, I often hear this presented, not just this issue, but other issues, as if it's just the city council imposing its will on these poor people who don't like it. Right. That's not true. There are lots of people who want the city council to do that thing. So the city council is a tool, right? And all the people voted you guys into council. And if they wanted to do it differently, they could also run. They they could have voted me out, right? I mean, I voted to approve that critical areas ordinance and I won re-election, right? So I just, just like, we kind of forget that in our community and I don't just mean on the local level. I mean, on the national level, like we we so often for, and I think it's kind of a dysfunction of our community. Like people on one side of an issue like to just blame the politicians, but, but really, I mean, the thing that's going on that they're not happy with is, is something their neighbors want. But right? I mean, it's, 
there, there are people in the community who want the thing. That's why it's happening. And if you don't want that thing, then you should talk to your neighbors and your friends and, and explain to them why you don't want the thing and see if you can change their mind. So anyway, I just want to start with that. Um, critical areas ordinance uh, is so the, the, the big controversial part of it was we created, well, we enacted what was already available under state law, but had been put into our critical areas ordinance. And that was an aquifer recharge protection area, ARPA, A-R-P-A, aquifer recharge protection area. And um, we did that because there are a lot of people on this island. Well, I say this, but I'm not sitting on it now. So on the island um, who are very concerned about the groundwater on the island uh, and water quality on the island. And um, study was done lots of a number of groundwater studies have been done on the island over not over the last couple of few years but over the 10 years preceding when we made the arpa and um one of those studies kind of the the, the fullest study um found that uh hey we're not going to run out of groundwater you got we shouldn't worry about running out of groundwater <laughs> uh in in under foreseeable modeling uh reasonable modeling but we don't know what's going to happen with climate change. Um, we do know, or we suspect, all the modeling shows it's going to be drier summers and water coming in bigger bursts, you know, big storms, um, which cause more of the water to just run off the land rather than run in the land or you know, go into the ground. And um, our model shows that, uh, I don't remember the exact number. I haven't thought about this in like two years, but our model shows that uh, if it's 20 years from now, whatever they were modeling, uh, let's say it was 20 years from now, that if we continue the way we are going, that our stream flows will be 40% less on the island. So 40% lower stream flows on the island. And connected to stream flows are wetlands. <clears throat> so if the stream flow has gone down 40%, then I'm just speaking very generally, of course, it's more complicated than this, but you can expect that wetlands are going to decrease as well. So a lot of people are very worried about that. Um, and I'm one of them. Um, I think as an island, we have to think really long-term about our water source and we have to do whatever we can to protect that. So the critical areas ordinance provided a way to do it because it, it has under state law, the ability to create an aquifer recharge protection area. Uh, so we decided to do that. And um, it's kind of novel. There's no other city in the state that's done it, or at least done it like we've done it. Um, but we're different because we're an island. Um, other cities don't have this sole source aquifer where they get all their water from an aquifer. The basic way it works is that it says across the less dense zones on the island, which are the R0.4, the R1, and the R2 zones. Um, so those are zones where you, you have two and a half acre lots or one acre lots or half acre lots. <clears throat> um, it restricts how much of that lot you can basically clear cut uh, and develop into something. And that's about 90% of the island. So that's most of the island that is covered by that. Uh, I understand why some people don't like it. I, I have a two and a half acre lot. I mean, the ARPA applies to my lot as much as it applies to anyone else's lot. And what it basically says is, <clears throat> hey, if you're on a two and a half acre lot and these percentages go down a little bit as the lots get smaller, if you're on a two and a half acre lot, um, 
when it comes time for you to redevelop your lot or build a new house on it, or if it's undeveloped now and you want to develop it, you have to keep 70% of your lot in native vegetation. Basically, you just can't go in and clear cut it um, and, you know, park it out with lawn or something. You just, you need to keep it in native vegetation. Um, I understand why for some people that they really don't like that. Uh, I get it. Um, but the reason to do that is because uh, we know that the recharge we get right now from native vegetation is what it is. Um, we also know that, so to put that differently, when you got a forest and the rain falls on the forest, that rain all goes down into the forest and is much less likely to just run off in creeks and roadways and ditches and out into the sound. As opposed to if you just clear cut the forest and you make it dirt or concrete or something else or grass, even the water is more likely to run off. Um, some people, I mean, that, ba that basic science is true. <clears throat> um, is it also true that trees, keeping trees on the property um, results in some of that water being used by the trees? Yes, absolutely. Um, if, if the, the single best way to make sure that we get as much recharge, as much rain as possible into the ground would be to <clears throat> cut down all the plants on all the property, turn it all into concrete and line each, each piece of property with a big ditch that goes into a hole in the ground so that all the rain is caught on the concrete and the ditch and put into a hole in the ground and goes into the ground. And that's a I little mean, extreme, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if like that, that would be the way to make sure you capture all the water, right? So Leon Council had to pick something between those extremes. And, you know, the best option to us seemed to be, well, let's just say people have to leave it as native forest. That's what we have now. So let's just keep what we have now. And so I think that touches on a number of your points. I don't know that I really... Yeah, it also brought up a bunch more in my head too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, forest management, uh, water runoff, clear cut, and the taxation around all this. Um, first, a lot of people seem to complain about the water runoff just going into the ocean without collecting or reprocessing it on the island. How big of an issue or uh, management struggle is the water runoff on the island? I don't, I don't have a quantitative answer to that question. I wish we would have had that date in front of us when we were working on the CAO. Um, okay. I think there was a struggle a when the critical area ordinance came out in this happening for landowners, but we saw a lot of construction during that time, even though the intent was to curb construction. You know, the D.H. Horton out on the <clears throat> north end came in, the McMansions down by Rotary Park came in. And they were just oversized houses that didn't fit the area. And yet mm -hmm. people were struggling with their own land issues. Um, Can I add some of those two big clear cuts? Has there been, <clears throat> when was the last big clear cut around here? <clears throat> well, let me just add something to what you just said too, though. Um, <clears throat> so those examples you just gave, <clears throat> um, I don't think they're covered by the, the ARPA because I think those are in zones that are denser zones. So mm. they're not half acre or one acre, two and a half acre. Ah, lots. See, that um, explains it. So like those, the, the ARPA only applies to those lots, right? 
um, it doesn't apply to stuff in town. Um, it also didn't apply to anything that already had permits before we passed the law. If something already had permits, it gets to proceed with its permits. Um, something people don't know is, so I, I use that extreme example of saying, the way to get the most water in the ground is just to cement everything and drive all the water into a hole. Well, in fact, that is what the law requires, basically, for new development in town. Um, there's a there's a term for it that is just going to have to right in now. a couple of years. Yeah, but um, if you're developing in Winslow or some of the parts of the uh, neighborhood service centers, like Linwood Center and stuff, um, you have to take all your stormwater and literally run it into um, different types of containment systems that stop it from running off your property so that it goes into the ground. And these things are super, can be super expensive. So when the Wisconsin property was developed, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Cave Road and 305 there. Yeah, it's not Cave, Highway, um, High School Road and 305. So where the the Walgreens is now. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is back there. So, I mean, this is a number of years ago. You know, that was just forest, right? And this company came in, they bought it, they basically clear cut it. And you might have noticed that they clear cut it and did all this grading. And then it took a long time for them to install these big, there are these big, huge cylinders, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 feet tall, huge metal tubes sitting on the property Yeah, that they buried in the ground. And the reason why they had to do this is because of the stormwater requirements for building something in the dense parts of town. Those are stormwater vaults. So on that property, all the stormwater that falls gets captured because it's falling on concrete and mm-hmm. goes into um, the stormwater system and goes into these huge vaults. So it's collected underground under the parking lots and then slowly seeps out into the ground. Very cool. So like the stormwater thing's not new, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it was already a requirement, a really expensive requirement for developments that are dense in town. This was adding a less expensive requirement out across the rest of the island. And the requirement was to just keep your native vegetation. Um, but I do want to say one other thing about it. Um, for me, it was not an anti-development uh, ordinance at all. It was really about keeping groundwater in the ground. That, that's really what it is about for me. Uh, it doesn't stop anyone from developing their property. In some situations, will it make it harder for someone to develop their property? and maybe not allow them to develop it in exactly the way they want it. Well, yeah, um, that wasn't the intent for me, but I understand why people might see it that way. All right. We're going to have to abbreviate these seven pages of questions I have and uh, get you out of here on time. Um, thank you for that explanation. I appreciate it. Um, ethics board, I guess we can, well, before we jump in, then we'll finish that up in a minute. Uh, let's get to the city manager real quick. She's been, she was the assistant city manager under Doug Schultz for 10 years, maybe. Is that correct-ish? We don't fact check, so. It was a full 10 or if it was eight, but something like that. And then she became the interim city manager, correct? She was interim before Doug was hired, actually. There was some city manager turnover in there. She was interim in there, and then Doug was hired. And Anyway, then after Doug left, she became, she didn't become interim, we just, hired her as a city manager. Oh, I thought there was like a 90-day period or whatever, and then you guys gave her a bonus for um, doing good work 
and then <coughs> hired her full time. Yeah, I mean the the like I don't know if it was ninety days, but that period is correct. But she she wasn't called interim in that period. She was just called the city manager. Uh, and that, at that point, when she got that bonus, um, that was a sign of uh, trust in the job that she's done. Correct? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. So um, I was kind of surprised recently when all of a sudden there was a cry for a, a national search to replace her. How did <clears throat> oh. how did that come about? Uh, I have to be careful on how I talk about it because some of this stuff is you know, personal executive session stuff that we've conversations we've right. had with her. Um, but I, I, I think I can say this. Um, hopefully I can, cause I'm about to say it. Um, from the beginning and it's in her contract. So yeah, I mean, yes, it's public. She had only agreed to stay in the city manager position for a certain length of time. And I mean, she, she told us what she wanted that length of time to be in her original contract. Okay, and I don't remember. I don't remember now what it was exactly—two and a half years or something. Um, so she set that time, and her intention, as she had always explained it to us, was that um, she only wanted to be in the job for so long, and then she was ready to move on because she would have been at the city for ten years or more by that point, and she'd be ready for a new thing in her life. Um, I was really sad. I, I wish she had stayed. Um, but in order for her to stay, like we couldn't keep in a situation where it's like, well, this city manager will be here for another six months and then we'll see, or maybe another year and then we'll see. Like we needed, we need to have someone who will be the city manager for a while. So there's stability. Right. Um, and um, she um, didn't want to sign on for a long time. So yeah, yeah. she decided I, to go. I feel like I've been paying attention for a, long portion of my life here <laughs> and uh, it just never seemed to uh, come out that way from Kobe, I guess, in saying that we were, we're doing this for these reasons. So it seemed like somebody was trying to remove her from a public perspective a bit. I can see how there'd be you know, different ways to perceive it. And there, I'm sure there's some misinformation out there about it. Really? Um, misinformation? <laughs> Something in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah i, don't, I mean oh, there's there's okay. a lot about it we can't say well, you right? explained enough to me that you know she chose to move on she offered to stay longer and you guys are in the, or not you personally but council is in the situation where they're looking to replace her um the ethics i do want to say just for the record though for whatever it's worth um I am very happy with her and I think she's done a great job and I do not have any belief that anyone has pushed her out. Great. Because I know when Doug left prior to her taking it, there was a bit of a thought process that there was a little bit of bullying going on. And, um, I've always looked from the outside and thought knowing Doug and knowing her that she's done a good job. Um, there's been a lot of change, a lot of good change and a, a lot more political involvement and younger political involvement and subcommittees and, and offshoots that have sprung up that I've participated in and enjoyed. And some are materializing and some are going by the wayside participation wise and support wise. Um, and some are sticking. But the one that seems to be up and down and an absolute shit show, in my opinion, is all the things that surround ethics and um, 
you know, you're now in a situation where an anonymous complaint came, uh, attorney now is representing an anonymous complaint. There's discussion whether somebody should be able to bring an ethical charge against a government official anonymously. Um, and then there's the fear of retaliation and, and such. But I mean, if you feel that strongly, you should be able to stand up for yourself and, and speak out loud. And then, um, not my favorite guy, Ronnie Woodchips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> no, I said it at an open discussion at council. Okay. Um, yeah, he had four ethics charges against him. Rasham had a few. Um, then there was the dissolve of the ethics committee and then the rebirth of it. And now yeah. Ron has turned around and slapped one on you. Yeah. Uh, I, f- I feel like he has a little crazy Ron's army or something going on underlining city council. And I don't need you to say yes or no about this, but uh, I know he seems to butt heads in a lot of different ways. And from a public perspective, my public perspective, it seems like it's a lot about him and not about what he can do for, for the people. You know, he's not serving my interest in saying, hey, let's change Father's Day to I didn't procreate day. And having these, you know, kind of controversial um, petty ethics charges and him coming in after he's been out of city council and still trying to affect city council, which is his right as a citizen, and I respect that. But can you tell me a little bit about this current situation? I know, um, why do you think he's going after you right now? So I'm not on council anymore. Um, So I'm not speaking as a council member. I'm speaking as just me, as Cole Medina. Uh, And uh, so Ron can't bring some more ethics charges against me if I speak as myself about what I think is going on. And of course, I'm going to have to make it kind of short because I'm running out of time. But um, yeah, Ron filed that ethics complaint against me. And um, I think it's pretty odd that he didn't do it while he was on council. Uh, he decided to wait and do it later once he was off of council. Um, Cause you know, if he felt that I had violated executive session, he was on council for eight months. He had plenty of time to bring it up to the council and see if the council agreed and ask them to do something about it. But he didn't for whatever reason. Um, my response to that complaint is it's at the city. I mean, it's a public document. Anyone can see it. And I, my response says quite clearly that I, it's simply wrong. It's just factually wrong. I did not say something publicly that um, <clears throat> I learned in executive session. So there's that. Um, I'm, I don't put a lot of stock in that one. Um, but I will say that uh, my impression, you know, as a human being, is that um, Ron is someone who holds grudges. And <laughs> you think <laughs> exacts tries to exact vengeance on people. Uh, gets obsessed about things, weird things that don't, I don't think usually really matter. Um, he's also a guy I have a lot of respect for. I worked with a lot. There's a lot about him. I like um, a lot of what he stands for. I also stand for, but you know, none of us are perfect. And, and what I'm talking about are his warts. And uh, so I think he's I'm displeased with the fact that, uh, you know, I was on council when the council voted to reprimand him and I didn't do more as mayor 
to try to head off those ethics complaints against him or the ethics board's, ethics board's consideration of them. Um, and so he's, he's looking for some vengeance and um, wants me to suffer like he suffered. Can I prove that's true? Of course not. I don't know. I'm that's just telling just you my opinion. perspective. Yeah. You know, as Cole Medina, a human being. Um, the other complaint, the one that's um, much more serious sounding, uh, and if it were true, it would be very serious. Um, I, I'll just say I have no doubt he's involved in that too. Um, <laughs> I, I have very strong reason to believe that um, at least one of the members of council uh, knows who the anonymous complainant is, um, at least knows who it is, if not is involved him or herself in the group of people behind it. And all you need to do is watch city council when these things come up to see who's really interested in this <laughs> and who really wants to make hay with this, right? Um, Ron and a couple of the other council members um, are all supported by the same group of people and all work very closely together. That's their confirmation bias, Ron's army group, right? If that's what you want to call it. That's what I want to call it, the, the Ronnie Woodchips right? tribe. They all work very closely together, um, and they share some common um, issues with the city and theories about things going on at the city that are just, in my opinion, total bunk. Uh, why I'm, one of the reasons why I'm pretty sure um, Ron is involved in some manner in this other complaint is because he has been investigating me and the whole council. Uh, as of uh, September, the last time I asked, um, there were 307 public records requests that had been made of the city. So people writing in, making a formal public records request, yep. asking for documents. Of those 307, um, 50, some of them were from Ron. So almost one-sixth of all the public records requests were from Ron. And another 20-something were from a very close ally of his. Uh, so a quarter of all the ethics, I mean, all the public doc document requests this year, as of September, were from these two people who work very closely together and who are very strong support, supporters of a couple other people on council. And that's fine. I mean, that's the right. That's why it's there. Mm -hmm. One of those requests from Ron <laughs> was literally um, a request for every single email that I have sent or received on council during a particular period of time. And I didn't look at all of them. Maybe in the end, he got every email I've ever sent on council. I don't know but the one I happen to see, like usually the public records request is like, I would like to see emails from many council members dealing with the critical areas ordinance. But no, Ron just asked for this blanket one. It's just like, I want every email that's ever been sent or received by Councilmember Medina. Um, so he's been, he's been out there investigating me. And frankly, I call it bullying. But again, that's just my personal opinion. Um, so about this complaint, before I jump off here real quick, uh, if there were any truth to it, it'd be really serious. Mm -hmm. um, but there is. And here, here's the basic underlying argument. I mean, not underlying, the argument. Hey, Cole works over here at the Kitsap Community Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that people donate money to. <clears throat> One of the people who has donated money to the foundation uh, works at Olympic Property Group. So you have that. Mm -hmm. Those facts are true. But you still got to win the bid, though, for the development, right? Well, yeah, right. I mean, the council has to choose them. But uh, over here, you have 
a moment in time where the city council is voting on whether to approve a contract to hire Olympic Property Group to do some work for the city. And Cole is one of the people voting on that. And Cole voted yes on that, along with all the rest of the council. I mean, I think it was a unanimous vote. Maybe there was one dissent or something, but you know, mm-hmm. it's not like I was the only voter. <laughs> right. Exactly. Those facts are also true. The claim is, oh, well, Cole just got paid money to vote yes on that. And that's what it boils down to. That I had an interest in that contract mm-hmm. because someone who works for that company made a donation to the place where I work. Well, and I guess it comes down to, did you know that Pope Industries gave a donation to the Kitsap Community Foundation? Well, I don't think it comes down to that at all. No? I mean, I, it's not like I get paid that donation. It's not right. like, like there, there would only be an issue here if uh, Olympic Property Group had said to the donor, hey, donor, we want you to make a donation to the Community Foundation and we will pay you back that money. Um, but we're only going to make that donation to the Community Foundation. If the Community Foundation board agrees that they will give that money to Cole as long as he votes yes on this contract we have over here. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I get paid from the donation. The only right. way I get is if there's this line of corruption where the donor, the organization, my it's board of directors, and me all agree that if they make this donation, I'm going to get paid something extra and I'm going to vote a certain way on council. That's the only way there is a conflict of interest here, an actual well, what about? Um, if if you know about the donation abstaining from the vote, it, used, it still would have passed, right? Yeah, it's kind of a mute point. I mean, I could have abstained from the vote, but I'm under no obligation to because under the law, this is not a conflict of interest. I have no interest in the contract. Like, I only have an interest in that contract. Like, if someone is paying me money to, to approve the contract. Yeah, sure. I mean, in retrospect, maybe I should have just recused myself from the vote. Um, but that's but, retrospective. Well, and I, I'm not under any obligation to do that. Like, right. there is no, there is no he- there here. Like I have never once had a donor to the community foundation say to me anything that even implied they were donating because of something I was doing on a council. Right. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. And people donate to the community foundation because they like what the community foundation is doing and they're supporting the work in the community. And uh, just a couple more things because I'm late now, but you got me started. Um, I get, yeah, I got two questions I got to squeak out here too. So. Well, just to point this out to people, the community foundation takes in millions of dollars a year from thousands of donors. Mm-hmm. Like you, does anyone really think I'm going to like compromise my morals and become a dishonorable person and involve myself in corruption because one person out of thousands donated a very small amount of money out of the millions that comes into the community foundation. Yeah. And it's not the reason you leave in town either. So get that idea out of your head people too. No, Um, I mean, anyway, (laughs) two quick questions. um, And I hope this doesn't tie you up too much. But uh, what are your thoughts on Olive Gate and uh, Michael Pollack's uh, open letter situation? I know that he seemed to be really disruptive in 
playing both sides of the race card, I thought, in white fragility and then systematic racism going through uh, the government here on Bainbridge Island. And I just was so offended by that when that happened. And then Rasham and the phone dropping in an olive jar. It seemed like both those situations are semi-controversial. I, I, um, I believe Rasham that that's what happened. Uh, I just, I don't see, I'll just leave it at that. I believe that's what happened. And, um, about Michael, Councilmember Pollock, uh, that's, that's a really long story. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not going to jump into that one right now. <laughs> I got you. Well, Blue Mountain Community Foundation, you're getting a winner in your new hire in Cole Medina. Cole Medina, appreciate your time. Thank you. And I'm sorry to, uh, to go. All right. Well, uh, stay in touch and I'll look forward to talking to you again. Thanks. Happy holidays. Bye, you too. Take care. Hey, Podcastville. Want your spoken word to be heard? We are currently seeking submissions for spoken word and poetry. Send your recorded words to tinytim at thebystanderpodcast.com. Won't last, the storm will push through Many hands and eyes my soul has looked through So many old books I've looked through 
Just to say that ego shook you, look you a fine And I'm really here just to tell you that I'm looking to find Yeah The peace of mind I've seen at times But maybe I could be blind I'll tell you that I'm Looking to find Climb A heist to reach that sky You know I'll be there before I die 